Welcome to Grit, Guts, and Determination, the Leadville Race Series podcast. I'm your host, Cole Clover, son of race founder, Ken Clover. And I'm going to take you on a journey of rich storytelling through our now 40-year rich history. And I invite you to sit back and listen to these eccentric stories. But don't forget to take a few notes along the way because these eccentric stories are going to have tricks and tips to get you to that line come summer. So sit back, enjoy, and then we'll see you at home. We'll see you in Leadville. Well, Leadville family, I always tell you I got a special one for you today, and uh, I'm going to do it again. But this one uh, for our running audience Today's guest has not only finished Leadville 13 times, Badwater 20 times, run across to America, circumvented Badwater, and had some kicks on Route 66. Today's guest is none other than ultra-running legend Marshall Ulrich. So take good notes today. They're going to be useful tomorrow. We have a saying in Leadville, you don't find Leadville, Leadville finds you. So, Marshall, when did Leadville find you? Leadville found me, I think it was back in, gosh, it, it was back in the early 80s, maybe 1987, give or take, and uh, I had just gotten into ultra running, and in fact, I went out and did Western States, and I thought to myself, well, hmm, you know, I kind of, I kind of enjoyed doing that, and then uh, Leadville was on my radar, and at that time, it was, you know, just about anybody could get in, even me, so uh, <laughs> I saw it, and I thought, you know, I got to do this. This is right in my backyard as I was living in Fort Morgan, Colorado, and uh, boy, I went out and did it, and it was just, it was like a whole community, uh, and it's kind of been my lifeline, you know, when I was going through troubled times in my life. Uh, so, you know, they treated me like family. You guys treated me like family and it became an extension to my surrogate family, if you will. Well, for sure. And before we dig too deep into Leadville, um, you know, I'd like to talk about your start and what got you interested in running. Yeah. So, the reason I, I, I found running is, or it found me, if you will, I think that's a good statement, is, uh, you know, my first wife had uh, contracted cancer, and uh, in fact, she passed away in 1990, so well before that, uh, just to deal with the stress of it all, I started running, and, you know, I started 10Ks, I started marathons within the first year, and it took me three or four years and I started looking around for a little bit more because I wasn't extremely fast. You know, I could run a sub uh, three hour marathon, but uh, I, I realized the longer I stretched the distances out, uh, I could keep going at a relatively uh, good pace or solid pace where it equated into being more competitive on the ultra running basis. Well, and you say not fast. I think I'm fast, and I still can't crack that three-hour marathon. So, 
I greatly applaud that. But uh, and and before we even get too far down all these tracks, it it does appear that you aren't slowing down at all. Um, as you know, I had your good buddy Mark Macy on the podcast a few months back. And you're actually still down in Arizona and just finished another big challenge with him on Route 66. Can you talk a little bit about what that was about? Yeah, so we started looking around and we I originally had wanted to do something down here because I was going to be here. And it's for, of course, the Alzheimer's Association. And, you know, those of your listeners who know Mark uh, probably realized that he has Alzheimer's and, uh, you know, he's in the thick of battling that along with his wife, Pam. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we tried to, my wife and I, Heather, uh, we tried to think of some event that we could do to raise money for Alzheimer's and we did it successfully, but we started driving around 66 and realized that it was fragmented so badly, but there is one section that is intact that is 158 miles and it's the original route. It's the longest route in the US and it was the first to be designated as a historic route. So we decided to do that and that 158 miles just equates into a bunch of sixes like six marathons in six days on Highway 66. <laughs> and so we decided to do that uh, and in my wife, it was, you know, it was, it was a push for her because we trained down here a little bit, and I say a little bit, we've done some, you know, 20 miler, 11 miler, and we were consistent and everything. And I knew she could do it because she's got the mindset to do it. I don't know, unfortunately or fortunately, some of that uh, rubs off on on your spouse. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, so we proceeded to do that, and we just finished with that. I guess it was about three weeks ago. And Mark and Pam came out and they did, um, they were going to do 66 miles over the six days. So, and they accomplished that by doing 11 miles per day. And, you know, it was quite extraordinary. Uh, Mark, for sure, he, uh, you know, that's, that's not too much for him, but Pam mm-hmm. in particular having, you know, and, and both Pam and Mark are donators, kidney donator or, well, Mark is a kidney donator. He didn't donate it to Pam, but he donated it to a stranger because Pam has had two of her brothers donate kidneys to her. She's a liver transplant. Her feet are messed up. And you could see she was in pain out there. She's got arthritis. And I mean, her and Heather just killed it, just knocked knocked it out of the park. So, you know, I want to tell your listeners, man, don't sell yourself short because you know, those two gals, they set good examples for, uh, you know, everybody, not just women, everybody. So uh, anyhow, that's that's what the project was about. Well, yeah, absolutely. They do. And now we got a little bit of a, a spoiler alert. But do you have other plans for that 158 miles in the future? Yeah, what we're uh, contemplating, and we pretty well put the wheels into play and we'll make a formal announcement. I guess this is uh, sort of an informal announcement that uh, next uh, November 11th, and the reason I chose November 11th is in 1926, Route 66 was designated uh, as a through route uh, to the United States or through the United States. 
the other thing that's kind of quirky or whatever, that's Mark Macy's birthday is November 11th. So there's a couple <laughs> of things that line. I mean, the stars are just aligning with this, but uh, uh-huh. we intend to do an ultra marathon um, and it will start and run from the east to the west, 158 miles. Uh, and it's extraordinary because there are a lot of uh, curio shops, a lot of, uh, you know, old antique automobiles and things like that uh, a lot of stops along the way the grand caverns um and and things like that that just make it uh, you know so iconic and things to do where it can be fun for not only the runners but the crew who will be supporting the runners because we won't have aid stations it'll be like uh, you have to bring your own crew person to do it but we're going to kick that off on november 11th I mean, that sounds like a heck of a fun challenge. It seems like it would challenge the front of the pack the same as the back of the pack and, you know, everybody in between. Do you have any uh, ideas of what your timeline will be like on that, like what their time limits will be or any of those kind of logistics? Yeah, absolutely. And so we wanted to make this very, very user-friendly and – you know, for us old guys, as you get older, you realize that uh, you're bumping up on on time limits and things. Uh, you know, and incidentally, you know, thank you very much for inviting me back to Leadville because I'll be giving that a go. But uh, having said that, gulp, uh, you know, thirty hour time limit. So you know, I'm going to be bumping up against that for sure. Uh, I don't have the legs that I used to, or uh, you know, have the youth. But this. Uh, this 158 miles will do a very liberal cutoff, which is, of course, 66 hours. It, it makes sense. <laughs> 66, 66 hours. So that'll give people plenty of time. You know, they could literally walk the whole thing. Yeah. And it. So uh, I'm hoping to get, you know, some of the old guys back in the mix and, you know, see if they can shake it up and you know, get their kicks on Route 66. <laughs> well, I talked to enough of these guys like our cutoff king and queen, Mike and Sandy Monahan, which you know, and the Dunoff, Mick and Sharon Dunoff. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of nostalgia of guys wanting to, to go back, much less new guys and gals starting. So I think that sounds like a, a whole lot of fun and a very neat project. Yeah. Now let's get back to your earlier Echo Challenge days. I mean, because you and Mark go way back. You were teammates way back in the day. Can you tell us about some of those early Echo cha- uh, Eco Challenge experiences with him and the Stray Dogs? Yeah, so, it, you know, this this is great. I love to talk about this stuff because Mark and I just uh, met, I think, pretty serendipitous obviously, uh, out in Fort Morgan where my business is, and there was a little triathlon. This is the way that I recall it. Mark strolled up to me, and he was asking, you know, about uh, bad water in particular and some other things that I'd been doing in the early years back in 91, 92. And so we had a relationship going, but we really didn't connect that well until in 1995, the Eco Challenge came around, and everybody's going, oh, what's, what's Eco Challenge? And, of course... You know, that's an adventure race uh, that is, you know, three, 350 miles or more. And it's uh, they hold it all over the world. But the first one was in Utah. And 
we had I was invited to be on a team and one of the team members had to drop out and I said I got just the guy and <laughs> it was Macy who of course Mark and then uh, Dr. Bob was uh, on a different team he was with a team it was Mile Mile High or no we were team Mile High and he was team Columbia Sport and so uh his team blew up, our team blew up, but then we joined forces and finished the race together. And that's how I got to know Dr. Bob and Lisa Smith Batchin and Mark Macy. And we formed a team that was called Team Stray Dogs. And then after that, we raced all over the world. I raced with Mark eight of the next um, eco challenges. Uh, and, you know, he was my lifeline. The guy was just uh, solid as can be. So, you know, we had some good experiences, you know, take, for instance, like down in Patagonia, we got lost for 12 hours, and that's very <laughs> typical. And the thing that I loved about Mark is that he was, uh, nothing bothered him. So what that we were lost? We were just having a good time out there. So it didn't make any difference. It was just all about doing the sport. And, um, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit about Leadville now. Uh, you know, I can't help but talk about that. But, um, you know, it's just wonderful, you know, how, you know, connected that Leadville is and how wonderful that it is, uh, you know, very similar to the eco challenges and stuff where the experience is what it's all about. And sure, you know, I used to run, you know, the race fairly fast and you know this and that but it was all about the experience and still is so um i digress just a little bit there or not <laughs> but uh anyhow the uh the other things is uh, you know another story that i can remember is uh, you know mark macy when we were in Morocco and uh, he seemed to have a touch of dysentery and i mean this went on for three or four days and oh. every time he would uh he would have to do his business or whatever. He would come the helicopter with one of their cams on and, you know, they're trying oh, to film no. his team. So, you know, <laughs> the eyes were always on us. <laughs> uh, so, but it, more than anything, uh, you know, it was just a great time. Um, I'm thinking about Australia when we were out on the coral, the coral reef, uh, you know, and uh, there were some choppy seas and, some squall, squalls were coming in and they, they put the race on hold and they thought everybody was off course. And we heard over the radio that uh, everybody was off court and Mark Macy broke the seal on the radio, opened it up and he says, God damn it, we're stray dogs and we're still out here. So, <laughs> don't leave us out here. And, uh, we're not lost. But we're out here. <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, it was just funny as can be. And, you know, neat voice comes back over. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> you know, okay. We'll make no, you guys are still out there. You guys need any help. And, you know, in the meantime, there are waves that are 10 and 12 feet high that were crashing over our heads and things. And uh, at one time we had to uh, get out of the boat and just hang on to the sides of it and, uh, you know, just try and survive the night. So, um, yeah, it was, you know, good times, fun times. Uh, and I think the most difficult times made it more uh, memorable, especially when you persevered and were able to get through them. Well, absolutely. I can think of that a lot of times where that's happened that way in, in Leadville. And, uh, 
Well, now staying on the eco challenge just for a quick second. Now we fast forward, you know, 30 years later, it's the year 2020 and COVID's overtaken us all. But all of you stray dogs seem to have uh, reunited and come together at the eco challenge Fiji. And then uh, Mark actually raced aside you guys with his son, Travis. How neat was that to revisit that experience after that amount of time? Well, it was fantastic. And originally, Mark was going to be on our team, but because of, you know, Alzheimer's and everything. And, you know, we're, we're just old guys, Dr. Bob and myself. You know, we were... I think 66, 67, or no, 67, 68 years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, we were the oldest team out there, and we knew that we'd have our hands full. Uh, so, you know, Travis said, you know, I'd, I'd love to race with my dad and, uh, you know, put him on my team, and, you you know, we can try and, uh, you know, go along together as much as we can, which wasn't that often, but it was very special when we did. Uh, so yeah, it was like a, a big reunion and I think it, it on some level broke Mark's heart because, uh, you know, he kept inquiring, you know, how are the stray dogs doing? And, you know, he just said, gosh, I just, I just miss racing with you guys. And it, it's like, Mark, we, we certainly, you know, we miss racing with you. So it, it was very special and, you know, it was a tough time and, you know, I don't want to spoil things. Everybody probably knows that uh, we had difficulties, both teams out there. Uh, so, you know, we didn't rise to the occasion as, as we used to because I think we finished our track record was, you know, finishing 70% or something, which is outrageously good in mm-hmm. that sport. Uh, usually the, the finish rates are well below 50%, sometimes, you know, 15%. Sure. So we had a pretty good average out there, but Mark was just, Mark was Mark out there, just plodding along, and <laughs> boy, he had back issues and stuff, and I see some of the footage, and I didn't realize how bad things were, but, uh, you know, when when we finally got together after things just really unwound, and, you know, both teams had to regroup and and we had to stop and you know it was kind of a reunion and i mean there were just tears in our eyes and it was it was as much about the appreciation for each other and uh, you know certainly for me what what mark stands for just as as you know he's a family man he's uh mm-hmm. you know he's just a fantastic person uh so yeah it was it was very special Yes, for sure. And now I I I always screw up my streaming. So for for everybody that doesn't know or all our family members listening, they can catch out on wasn't it Amazon Prime? Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime and the host is Bear Grylls. It's a 10-part series and it's called The World's Toughest Race. Uh so if you've got Amazon Prime, you can see it for free. And I do think it's You know, of course, I'm prejudiced, but I think it's worth watching because some of the early eco challenges were more like, you know, Survivor. They smacked a Survivor and teams fighting and this and that. But there were some really heartfelt stories that came through. And our friend Lisa Hennessy, who is the executive producer, you know, we talked to her, both Mark and and I and some of the other people. And 
we said, man, you know, we just just like for you to get to the meat of it all and what life is about and how outstanding, you know, individuals such as Mark are. <clears throat> so, and it worked out very well. She she listened, and I I think I think people appreciated that too. The uh, viewing audience. For sure, it was a, a. I have watched it, and I I thought it was so well done. So, yes, for anybody listening, it's it's definitely worth the view, in my opinion. <clears throat> okay, now if we swing back a little bit to Leadville, now you, you we talk about family and roots, and you know, late eighties, you're you're introduced to us. How many times have you participated in and finished the Leadville Trail One Hundred? Um, I think this is right. I think, I think I participated like 15 finished, I believe 13 times. I think that's right. Um, and I did that, uh, those fairly early on. And then, you know, I kind of got sidetracked, you know, with some other projects and there was a little bit of a conflict here and there. Uh, but, uh, I'd always go back. I think the last time I went back was maybe, 2012 or 14 or maybe even later than that but uh it always you know there's races that are always they're almost magnetic where they draw you back in and they have this aura about them that is just you know unbelievable and Leadville is one of those well yes I mean I think one of the last times I saw you out there on the course was I think you were with Teresa Doss Weber on the marathon course at that so um yes it seems to draw us all back in uh, let's talk about you've got quite a history of unique challenges to say the least you've also got a fair number of unique leadville challenges and i'm not sure all our family members are aware of that so i'd like to start with the leadville triple crown can you tell us what that was and uh and how many people have participated in it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, thank you for bringing it up because that, uh, you know, this was before, uh, you know, the real uh, media and, and stuff was out there, uh, the social media thing. So, you know, a lot of stuff that was done way back in the late 80s and 90s, uh, you know, people just, it just kind of goes by the wayside. Uh, it's not as accessible, but um, <clears throat> there was a, a, a person, Buzz Burrell, who people probably know of, uh, some of the old timers. And uh, Buzz Burrell, I had heard that, he had uh, thought up this thing of doing, uh, you know, the bike, the run. And I think, you know, the bike had just been going on a couple of years then, if even that. But the bike, the run, and then um, a kayak that was 100 miles. And so um, what I did is I did the, the Leadville bike. I did the run, and I, I, I finished horribly. In fact, the bike, I was, you know... <laughs> the last ass over the past guy i was i was very last in the bike if i can recall correctly and then my run didn't go so well um i don't know i ran like 28 hours or something but i just i was very disappointed in myself so i went to buzz burrell and i said uh you know buzz uh, do you mind if uh 
if I take your idea and run with it. And so he gave me permission to do it because he said, I, I doubt that I'll ever get around to doing it. So on consecutive weeks, of course, you know, there's the bike, the run. And so then I grabbed a kayak. Uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a short one man sea kayak and I dropped it into Turquoise Lake and Turquoise Lake is a little over 10 miles around uh, the circumference of it. And so I measured it out, uh, you know, precisely. And uh, I did 10 laps around Leadville, the uh, Turquoise Lake. So I did those on consecutive weekends. So that's that's the Triple Crown. And if I recall, I think it took me 26, 28 hours. I mean, it was, uh, you know, you can only paddle about three and a half, four miles an hour. I'm not that great of a paddler, but I can do it because of the ego challenges. So um and you know to answer your other question i don't think anybody else has done it <laughs> <laughs> well yeah no i mean talking about imagine it paddling around no we cannot imagine just you um and then now now there is one leadville challenge that a ton of our leadville family knows about and um, historically has has had possibility and recently changes have been made that will make this legend continue as just as it should. Legend. You've run the Leadville Trail 100 and the Pikes Peak Marathon on the same day. Now, I'd really love for you to tell our family about that. And that's because that's one that you know, others have gone after, and it's been a fiery death to try to repeat. Yeah, well, it, uh, it was interesting because the way that came about, you know, I'm, I'm a fine arts major, so I think a lot about creating things, the creativity of coming up with something new. And so people had talked about or they joked about you'd go to Leadville and they said, oh, you know, there's uh, – the marathon that's going on the same week and you know ha 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 you know why don't you do both or something and so that kind of stuck in my mind for about a year or so and i thought well why in the hell hasn't anybody done it i mean it's 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 it would be very challenging for sure and you'd have to you know run leadville i estimated in you know 22 24 hours at the outset in order to be able to get down there and be at the starting line to do uh, the other marathon. So, um, I think that year I finished maybe it was in the top 10 and probably Mm -hmm. around 23 hours, give or take, uh, maybe 22 hours. So you have to run it kind of fast to get down there. And then (laughs) I got down there. I was absolutely whipped. (laughs) I was the first Colorado finisher at Leadville and the last Colorado (laughs) finisher at Pikes Peak. (laughs) Well, and I mean, you had to drive yourself there and not fall asleep along the way. So. Well, I had somebody. I had somebody drive me down. I had it all prearranged. So, uh, and in fact, we got down there a little bit early. So I sat down and had, you know, a bite to eat, uh, and then just uh, went to the starting line and took off with everybody else. <laughs> I mean, most people that would, you know, all that would have enough pause to do them in on multiple points throughout that journey. So I, it's just amazing. And I, I love hearing that story, no matter who's telling it. It is always legendary. Um, now, and speaking of legendary, you and Ken, you, 
Ken and Mary Lee all go way back. And I love hearing the stories that you two have of each other. But what are some of your memories of that pair? Well, you know, Mary Lee, you know, she was always just so solid and so always cordial and everything and so always positive. And, uh, you know, she would she would it's it seems like she's she was everywhere along the course now uh you know ken i i can remember uh uh there was i can't remember the fellow's name but there was a guy who had llamas out there at fort morgan and he would bring them up on hope pass and Mm -hmm. so um what i would do is uh you know somehow I realized what was going on there. And so I asked the guy if I could go out and exercise as a llama. So I go out and run with his llamas. And those are the same ones that wound up at Leadville. So there was one year and I got a hold of Ken. And at that time, I can't remember, this is probably, you know, 1995 or 96. And it was, you know, it was getting harder to get in Leadville and it was closed. Registration was closed. And Mm -hmm. I called Ken up and I said, Ken, um, you know, I I think I made a mistake not signing up for Leadville this year, and I was wondering if there's any chance that I could get in. And you know, I said it meekly and everything. <laughs> I love Ken because he says, "I don't care who you are, I'm not let you in." <laughs> so I said, "You know, I totally get it. I, you know, I understand perfectly." So then he called back after he had talked to this guy in Fort Morgan and he said, you know what? I talked to him and he told me that, uh, you know, he told me a little bit more about you. This is before I knew Ken well. Mm-hmm. And he said, he kind of vouched for you. So I'm going to let you in. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, Oh boy, well, here we go again. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was kind of a fun experience. And I got to know Ken and appreciate him. You know, for ethics and values and everything else, I mean, he is just the most salt of the earth, solid guy on the face of the planet. So, and, you know, that speaks well to to him for sure. Well, thank you. I absolutely think he is. And I think you're that same kind of guy. Uh, Well, absolutely are. Ken always talks about digging deep. I mean, we make our living off digging deep. He expects that from all of us, but your resume truly is superhuman. It's it's even above all these other resumes of all these accomplished individuals. Do you, with all these challenges you've taken on and been through, take this same advice? Do you dig into your deep into your inexhaustible well of grit and gut and determination, or does this look different for you? No, absolutely. And I think that's what it's all about. I mean, you know, people say, you know, to put it lightly, if uh, if you do something, you know, it's give it your all, you know, if it's worth doing, give it give it your best and so on. It, it goes along with that. It goes beyond that. But, um, you know, that that reminds me of another quick story about Ken and this illustrates just exactly that and how Ken supports everybody else as well as digging a little bit deep. So, you know, I was, I'm, I'm speaking about that bicycle, the bike race where I was in the last place and I roll into that, um, um, 
aid station that was just above Turquoise Lake. I don't know, it's 10, 12 miles out or something like uh, that. Carter's and Summit, the, yeah. What is it? Carter's Summit. Yeah. So, and there's Ken, and as I recall, you know, he just runs up and he said, you got to get going, buddy. And I said, I am, I, I am freezing. I'm hypothermic and this and that. And I, I said, you know, I'll get going, but man, I just don't know. And he ran over and there was one of the trash bags that was sitting there. He <laughs> emptied all the trash out, tore holes in it, threw it over me. And then he pushed me on the back off on my bike and he said, go get him. And I finished like within two minutes of the cutoff. Well, I love that. I love that you're adding this context because, you know, I'm talking to your superhuman resume and and speaking as superhuman, you know, I've definitely not been the only one with that opinion of you. And uh, so at one point throughout your journeys here, you had the late comic book god Stan Lee come knocking at your door to highlight you on a show titled Stan Lee's Superhumans. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he covered you for your ability to deal with heat at Badwater. Now, how satisfying is it to know that the show could have also featured you with about five other superhuman topics such as, you know, cold or distance or all those plethora other things. And of every guest this show ever featured, you were the one that I felt that they didn't even scratch the surface with. I feel like you had all these other talents. So what was that experience like? Was that, uh, did you get to meet him? Did you get to meet any of the other guests? You know, I didn't. They they uh, they kind of do it uh, as a one-off, if you will, and then they put everything together. Uh, there was some commentary that uh, Stan Lee said at the end, and you know, he talks about meeting. They called me Thermo Man, <laughs> and uh, you know, Marshall Ulrich is this and that, and it it was extremely flattering, especially you know since now he's gone. But you know, I think he was about ninety years old then. It, mm -hmm. it was. It was unbelievable. And he's a guy that, you know, I used to read comic books when I was a kid and stuff like that. And I didn't know where all that stuff came from. But uh, his association with all of uh, you know, the movies and everything that came out, I mean, it was it was quite a an extraordinary, you know, honor for me. And uh, they filmed that uh, it was out of Bangkok. So okay. they flew me over to Bangkok and, you know, ran around one of the national parks and um then they put me in a paint booth because they couldn't figure out any other way to simulate heat <laughs> and so what the deal was uh, and you can probably uh, see a clip of this on youtube somewhere just you know search marshall or, i don't know superhuman or you know whatever it yeah is. if you put that stanley and superhuman it'll pull it up uh, Okay. So anyhow, they put me in this paint booth and they said, we're going to crank this up to, I think it was 133, 134 degrees and put you on a treadmill. And the first thing they did is they were going to call it off because they walked in and it stunk like, you know, paint and stuff. And, you know, I'm an old farm boy and I did my own mechanics. Sometimes I'd even paint my own. I said, you know, it smells real normal to me. I'm fine with it. So... <laughs> dropped me in that paint booth and i started running they started cranking the heat up 
you know, pretty significantly and pretty fast. And, um, you know, here, here's the interesting part that a lot of people don't know is, you know, they had my body temperature. And at that time, you know, they, they have these, you know, a lot of times they have these capsules that you can swallow or something, but <laughs> they said, you don't mind if we, you know, shove this little contraption up where it doesn't shine. And, uh, you know, can you run with that because it's attached to the wire and, and that way we can regulate, see, see what your temperature is doing and so on and so forth. And I said, no, nah, it's not a problem. So I was doing that whole show with something up my little thingy up my, uh, up the rear end. I think you go above and beyond over all of us. I think it would have been a problem for my father, myself, for like 98% and the rest of anybody listening. But So I said, you know, that there were so many other faucets to this. I mean, let's talk about your other accomplishments outside of Leadville, such as you climbed the seven summits on the first try. How... And I'd like you to also speak about like how that challenge stacks up to some of these ultra runs. Um, how is it different as far as like your long runs and acclimating and those sort of issues? You know, it's it's much the same. Where uh, take for instance with long running, if you're going to long, uh, you know, do long distances, what you have to do is just run long distances and preferably on courses that uh, you'll be running on. Take, for instance, if you're on trail and you're doing a trail run, run on trail, you know, do that. If you're going to run in the heat, you know, uh, get a sauna or something and train in the heat as I did in bad water. Uh, with altitude, it's very much the same thing. Your body is and what I would like to say to your listeners is your body is so smart. It's all about surviving. It's all about adapting. And it will adapt to almost virtually anything, including altitude, heat, uh, cold. It, you know, you can always wrap up for that. But uh, it's amazing. So uh, and then there's the mental aspect of it. Uh, of course, what uh, ultra running taught me was to think that I could do anything. So why not go out and, you know, climb Mount Everest or something? It just opened my mind to all of these possibilities and uh, taught me how to be very disciplined, uh, pace myself, uh, not extend myself, not go out of myself, uh, the realm of, of my capabilities. So it's very, very much similar um, with, uh, I like to say Mount Everest, was probably uh, it was probably the most technical thing I did, and, and that is because of the altitude. And of course, your your body builds red blood cells every time you go up to a certain altitude, come back down and rest, and then you can go up further and do it again and again. And that's that's how you can um, climb or teach your body how to adapt to the altitude. Um, now, as far as difficulty is concerned, I, I kind of revert back to running across America because, you know, I was running close to <clears throat> 60 miles uh, per day for 52 days straight. So, you know, mentally, I had to get myself up for getting up the next morning after maybe four to five hours of sleep per night and running another 60 days day after day after day. So that was the most difficult 
And then the most dangerous thing I think I, I did, it wasn't Mount Everest. It was that circumnavigation of Death Valley, which was 425 miles where Dave Heckman and I buried caches over 16 days and did the perimeter of uh, Death Valley, you know, in the summer, of course, in July and August. So that was the most difficult. But they all have similarities. And, you know, it's uh, it's like building blocks. You do a 10K, you do a marathon. Then you start looking around and doing other things. And, you know, I just more than anything, I've just been blessed to be in the right time, the right space, have the uh, have the will. If if there's if you don't want to do something, nobody can make you do something. You have to have that desire. So so much of it is just about desire, and that's what what flames the fire, or stokes the fire, if you will. Well, yes, and I'd like you just hit on a a bunch of uh, things, uh, projects I'd like to talk about. I mean, we talk about. Everest, the last thing I'm talking to you about is this mountaineering and from highs to lows. You've done bad water a good number of times. Uh, I think it's even more than Leadville, isn't it? Isn't it 14 or more? Um, well, I've um, I've actually, I've, uh, I finished bad water 20 times. Oh, goodness. Okay. Yeah, I won it, won it four times. And then... Every year since 1990, with the exception of this year, uh, I have averaged going out and crossing Death Valley one way or another. Um, so it's been 31 times uh, that I've I've been out there. Each year I'll do something. <laughs> well, yes. And so, like, you've also taken on many challenges within that. Before we get into some of those, let's talk about, uh, you know, you've done... You've soloed the event with a hot dog cart, and to my knowledge, you've been the only one allowed to solo it, and that was due to your experience. You've also done it, what, the the Badwater Quad, and then the circumvention you talked about, that was actually one of your more recent challenges, uh, to my knowledge. So can you speak to those individually about what fueled those and... Uh, the challenges to each. Yeah. So the solo and, you know, other people have gone out and broken my solo record. So, uh, yeah, other people have been, you know, of course, allowed to do it. Anybody can do it. But uh, the challenge for that is going from Badwater to the top of Whitney, totally self-contained, not taking anything from the outside. So uh, the way that came about is uh, one of my crew members, after I ran Badwater, he, he, we were talking about, I wonder if a person could, you know, actually tow enough water or whatever to do the whole thing. So uh, when I did that, I had a, I think it was a 227 pound, uh, you know, two wheel baby <laughs> jogger cart like uh, that I pulled. It was like a rickshaw almost. And I had 22 gallons of water. It actually took me 20 gallons of water by the time I finished. Uh, but I did that on a dare because, uh, you know, one of uh, <laughs> my crew members said it can't be done. He, he was an engineer and he calculated it out. He says, you can't do it. And I said, well, I'm going to next year. So anyhow, that, that was that. And then uh, nobody, of course, people have done doubles out there rich banio has a book out there it's called the death valley 300 where he did a double crossing of death valley and i thought to myself 
you know, I'm going to go out and try a quad, you know, double it. Uh, and we did that once again for charity and we were able to raise money for uh, a clinic in Eritrea. Um, so, um, you know, all of this stuff is, you know, part of the motivation is certainly it's, it's personal seeing what, what I can do. But, uh, I think what really makes it uh, special is, you know, very similar to raising money from Mark Macy or something with Alzheimer's is, uh, you know, doing something for somebody else, uh, stepping outside of yourself. Um, and then, uh, the circumnavigation, uh, Dave Heckman dreamed that up, uh, and he wanted to do it. He wanted to do it in March and, uh, he kept bugging me, bugging me for three or four years. And I was out at bad water. He was out at bad water as a medic, but he's a firefighter and very fit. And finally I got a hold of him and I said, Dave, you know, let's do it. But you know, you can't go out there in March. If you go out in Death Valley, you got to do it in the heat of the summer. For records to count, you got to do it in the heat of the summer. And I think we should bury caches and do it totally, you know, self-supported. So we buried 32 caches and, you know, we dug them up. We did this two months in advance and it took us six days just to bury all these caches. We buried <laughs> 400 gallons of water underground. Uh, but we went out there and we were able to pull it off, which astonishes me. I mean, I am still shocked that we were able to do it. But, you know, certainly that was the most dangerous thing that, that we ever did. And at one point coming out of the Saline Valley, I didn't know if we were going to make it over to our other cache because we ran out of water. So anyhow, it uh, that that was a little dicey. Well, now, and if you want to learn more about this adventure, you wrote a book about that experience. Can you give us the title and tell our family where they can find it? Well, that's called Both Feet on the Ground and uh, the subtitle Reflections from the Outside. So that has, uh, there's one chapter about bad water. Um, and that's where that story exists, as well as, uh, when I wrote my first book, uh, people were kind of hungry to hear about, take for instance, Mount Everest or, uh, you know, other things that I've done. And so I themed the book, each chapter goes into one of the elements like air, uh, water, fire, you know, and of course the fire is bad water. The air is Mount Everest. So, uh, it's divided up into four parts and it gives examples of some of the things that I've done and what I've learned. Uh, from those. Uh, and more than anything, it's about connecting uh, with nature. And, and, and when you connect with nature, you, you know, essentially what you're doing is connecting with yourself. Sure, absolutely. And now let's, you gave a little bit of a spoiler about this, but let's get back to this running across America. Um, you took on this challenge, but not like most. I believe most people running across America are averaging roughly a marathon and it's taking over 70, 77 plus days. But you at the age of 57 ran it in a very impressive 52 days and believe was the second or third fastest crossing of the time. Uh, can you tell us about that experience? And then you also wrote a book about that one. Yeah, so that that book is called Running on Empty, <clears throat> and you know, who, if if uh, your people read that book, what I'd like to say is uh, the title is very deceiving. 
Uh, of course, it's it's themed around that run, but it's more about you know what I learned. But more than that, it's a tribute to, and it's more of if you get the background of it all, it's 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 a love story between my wife and I. So uh, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Uh, so a lot of people will get it, and if they get it, I mean they they think it's special, and I think mm-hmm. it's special, but. <clears throat> um, yeah, running across America, I originally thought about doing it way back in the early 90s, and I just never got around to it because, you know, I was raising a family and I was always involved with my business and, you know, doing other things. So finally got around to it, and it wasn't until I was 57 years old. Um, it was it was difficult. It was very difficult in that uh, I, I it's closely akin to, to torturing yourself, or it was for me anyhow, because... <laughs> Of course, I was older, I was slower, so I couldn't sleep as much. So it involved a lot of sleep deprivation and 17, 18 hours of running every day uh, just to get that 60 miles in, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and then it was about mitigating, um, you know, injuries and things. Uh, I got a kick out of it because we kind of had uh, we had an orthopedic doc that was with us along the way. And. By the time we got about three quarters of the way through, he said, you know, I've been I've been on medical out of Western states. And he said, Marshall, you have had more injuries than all of the runners combined of <laughs> Western states in one year. <laughs> you know, a plantar fasciitis. And then I had a tear on the outside of that foot. And oh, so. Yeah icing it every few hours and you know this and that to just just uh you know keep going so and you know more than anything i have to give credit to to the crew and to you know as i was saying my wife because she probably slept less than i was she'd ice my my uh you know knees and things while i was sleeping and uh you know it was just it was torture for her too but um you know that like with Everest, with with uh, running across America, with some of those things, people they ask the question. And I think it's almost I don't I don't yeah I don't know how to describe it. Whether it's naive or whatever, because they didn't experience it. But they they say would you know would, are you going to go out and do that again? And it's like immediately I'll say hell no, I'm not going to. Why would I do that again? You know, I was stupid enough to do it the first time. So anyhow, it was difficult. (laughs) Well, and then, you know, we all have a lot of us in this game have addictive personalities. And uh, a lot of us, our family listening, you know, uh, that have taken on the challenge of running 100 miles knows what it's like to prepare all this time go through this, you know, life-changing when you hit that finish line event. And then there's this lull, this kind of depression. So what's that like? I've always wanted to ask you, what's that like for you? Here you are, you've taken on all these challenges. You've climbed the seven summits at the first try. You've run across America. Did a depression set in after that? or And if one did, how did you deal with it? Yeah, and so I, I don't know. I think I don't know if I'm unique, but I, I my theory is the reason I don't deal with that 
you know, depression thing, maybe I'm not susceptible to, but I think what really sort of keeps me on track is even before I finish, I've got another project in mind to look forward to. And I almost consider the event that I'm doing part of the training, whether it's mental, physical, or a combination of both to put me into the next project. Now, as I'm getting older, you know, I'm just starting to think to myself, man, you know, when am I going to stop doing this? And so like with this little thing that we did across uh, Route 66, it wasn't a little, but I mean, you know, going across Route 66, I did kind of have a touch of that. You know, I, I was just wondering what to do. And it was because I didn't have anything, you know, off you know, in the stratosphere to go for, you know, that goal. And so I think if people keep setting goals along the way and, and make them significant goals, I don't think they're going to, you know, fall into that depression, but that's just my theory. I don't know. Well, whatever your theory is, I think you've got everybody listening because it does seem to work for you and uh, it's quite magical. Now, with this next question, I'd like, you know, you've definitely uh, shaped your life numerous ways with numerous challenges. But thinking back more in the, you know, when you were doing Leadville so much, how has Leadville and the Leadville Trail 100 shaped your life beyond race day? I think more than anything, of course, it's, it's taught me a lot about myself every time that you step out there. But more than anything, it's it's taught me what a community is like, what a family is like. My family never really subscribed to me running or never supported me in it. They always thought it was a distraction. I should be paying attention to business. And so, you know, they, you know, I was more or less an outlier when it came to my family. I wasn't right there, you know, in the same town or anything like that. So they always looked at me as, you know, wasting my time doing this. And what the Leadville family has taught me, what family really looks like, that they're out there supporting each other and encouraging others to do extraordinary things that, uh, they don't think is possible to do. So that's how it's, it's more about the individuals. Of course, it's about the race because everything is wrapped up in that, but it's, it's about that support system that I never knew until I got to Leadville. Boy, that's very touching. Um, what do you think of when you hear the word Leadville? Uh, you, you know, I, I, I think of, I, I I think of uh, the geography. I, I think of the cleanliness of the air. I think of a cleansing process that, you know, is giving me, it's like a breath of fresh air. Every time I think about it, it calms me, even though, you know, when you're out there doing it, it can be very difficult and you're in a state of, I, I don't know, disrepair. <laughs> but it's very calming for me to look back and think about it. Absolutely. Um, it's been very special to have so much time with you today. It's always fun to catch up with you. Before I let you go, is there anything else you want to share with your Leadville family? I would say, man, just hang in there because and support each other because uh, the Leadville family will always be there. 
Well, thank you very much. Thank you for your time today. And I can't wait to see you at home. I can't wait to see you in Leadville. All right. Thank you. Well, Leadville family, there you have it. Uh, You've heard the tricks and tips for the most accomplished man I know in terms of endurance sports, period. Uh, It was great to have you tune in today. We can't wait to see you and Marshall on that line come August. Please don't forget to give us a subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts. And uh, we'll see you at home this summer. We'll see you in Leadville.